0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Thank you guys for braving the spring ahead and our fierce winter storm and being here this morning. I'll let you guys go early so you can go home and eat your bread and milk sandwiches. no, we're, we're going to do baby dedications, and um, so if you have a baby that is here to be dedicated today, if you, um, so if you have a baby that's here to be dedicated today, you and the family that are with you, if you guys want to come up front right here, and we'll make a line across the front, I know there's not that much room, we'll, we'll crowd, and we'll go up the aisles if we need to, but yeah, so everyone that has a baby that's being dedicated today, come on and bring them on up here. they're all so happy to be here (laughs) if you want to come up sure Uh, there's no yeah there's not really rules (laughs) we don't have everything too polished or figured out we just really want to dedicate these little babies to the lord Um, and honestly this is less for the children than it is for us it's for the children as we offer them back to, up to the Lord. Um, but it's really us as a, as a family, as a body of Christ, believing that it takes a family to raise a child. And that, that God's placed this child into the family of God. Yeah, He placed you into the family of God. He did. He did. And he trusted that the people who he gave these children to would be the ones that would raise them to become the people he intended for them to be. That he saw every day of their life and knew that you would bring them into being who he called them to be. And sometimes they just want to be with dad. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray over you guys that are raising these children. And then we're going to ask you just to offer their lives back up to the Lord, saying, God, that that we hold on to nothing so tightly that everything we have is yours, including these children. And we understand that we're all foster parents in a way, because these kids really belong to him. And it's just our responsibility and our privilege to, for a short time, get to raise them and train them and show them the love of the Father and teach them the way that they should go so that when they're old, they won't depart from it and to protect them and love them and to honor them and to encourage them to become who God created them to be. Right now, inside of them, the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's just it, it, it brought life into their bodies. And one day, they'll be born again. One day, they'll understand their need for the Savior. And because we're going to be the kind of parents that model for them what the love of God looks like, there's a day coming where they'll come to you and say, I want what you have. Where your children will come to you and say, I want what you have. Not I want what I heard about, not I want a story, not I want a theory. I want what you have because you have something that I don't. And then you'll get the great privilege of telling them what it is to be a new creation in Christ. And so parents, we're going to pray for you, church family. If you could just extend your hands towards them. Father, we bless every one of these parents right now in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, that you said that it is you who created life, that there are no accidents on this earth, Father, when it comes to children. God, that even if we thought it was an accident, you didn't. And so right now, we just thank you that everything that you intended for these children to become, you've placed the ability inside these people to raise them to become those people. God, that when you knit that child together and formed them in their mother's womb, that you spoke their name and called them forth, and you placed giftings, and you placed talents inside of them, and then you placed them in our lives, God, and you said that that we were capable, not because of who we are, but because of you with us, God, of seeing them become who you intended them to be. And we thank you for the great privilege. God, as a family, we right now commit ourselves to coming alongside these parents as the family of God and saying, we will do everything that we can within our ability to help you to train and raise these little children up to become the men and women of God that He created them to be. That we believe in you as parents just as the Father believed in you. That we believe in you, that we're for you. That we're encouraged and we're excited to see who these children become as you raise them and as they become who God created them to be. We're excited for that as, as grandparents, as parents, as aunts, uncles, as friends, brothers, and sisters. We right now offer our lives to help in any way that we can to pray for and encourage, to serve and to love, to protect and to honor you and these children fiercely, as we watch them walk down the path God has for them. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, parents, if you just kind of hold the children out, we're just going to pray this together. Father, right now, we offer these children back to you, fully believing that every good and perfect gift, and these children certainly are perfect gifts, come from the Father of light. And God, we just right now say their lives are yours. That every tear they cry, God. Every laugh they laugh. Every giggle they giggle. Every word they say. Everywhere they go. Every single place their little feet will take them that You're with them, Father. And right now, we just give their lives back to You. We hold on to nothing so tightly, God, that You can't do what You will with it. And so right now, in Jesus' name, we say, take their lives, Lord. And let them ever be for you and for your kingdom in Jesus name. Amen. 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 <laughs> Bless you guys. Cameron. Um, this is Cameron Patterson, for those of you guys that don't know. And wait why don't you guys step up here real quick. Okay? Yeah, that would be awesome, because you guys are such a part of this story. Um, so Cameron wanted to share something this morning, and for those of you guys that are looking up here and saying, I don't know those people, it's okay, you know Cameron, and she knows them. And in a minute, you'll know why they're here.
1: Okay, so this is Becky and Phil, and this is my daughter. And um, January 9th, I had her, and then about two days later, I signed my, right um, my rights to her everything. Um and I was angry, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't know what to do when I found out um, I was angry the whole nine months. And then the moment that Bethany did the sorrow, God just changed me. Yeah, like, like literally I felt it. I felt my whole body change. And, um, and I've, I mean, I've been able to meet so many people who are in the same situation as me um, who, you know, don't have... Family that I have, and the church that I have, because you guys, like, I don't even know what it's going to be, but, like, I feel so loved right now, I feel so comfortable in the church that I can share this with you guys. This is my first time sharing. (laughs) Um, But Bethany's a little bit over two months now, and um, so anybody who's dealing with a situation like this, or, um, you know, a lot, so prior to having Bethany, I should have struggle with um, and everything and um, I just so tired of it.
2: I'm it to be I
0: Amen. And as a church family, we just want to say to you guys, thank you so much for choosing to be the parents that will raise her to become everything God saw her and everything He's spoken to her and when He knit her together that He intended for her to become. And we're so thankful to you guys. And we just pray a blessing over you and your family and your household and in everything that you touch. And we just are so thankful that you guys said yes to being for this little baby, the parents that God wants you to be. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, isn't that awesome? See, there's no shame. Like when we think death, where is your sting? Like shame is broken. It's gone. There can, how can there be shame when everything is in the light? And everything's covered in grace and everything's covered in love. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that we're all one family anyways. And the truth of the matter is, is that in a short time, that little child will grow up to be an adult and they'll choose into relationships and they'll choose into family and they'll choose into the Lord. And it'll just be an awesome story of looking back and saying like people loved each other enough that they decided to come together and do what they thought was best for this little child rather than for themselves. And there's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation because it's all covered in the blood. And I just want to say to you, Cameron, that that if if the enemy ever comes and tries to bring something up, which he will, right? Because that's what he does. That's the only thing he has. He only has your past because he can't touch your future. And so he, he lives in the shadows of your past. And the great thing about that is, is that you can never again remember what happened apart from the blood of Jesus that if you ever try to revisit that memory apart from the blood of Jesus that cleansed you from all unrighteousness and that everything that was passed away and all that became new, you're living a lie. And so never agree with that. And anytime you look back, only see the grace and the love of the Father that covered the whole situation. And actually you can turn the accusation of the enemy into praise. Because every time he comes and pushes that little button, you can just turn right around and say, Father, I thank you that you entrusted me with that little life. And I thank you for what you're going to do with her in this earth. And I thank you that you've placed her into this amazing family. And God, I'm so thankful that I can live free of condemnation and shame and guilt. And that there's nothing behind me that's greater than the blood of Jesus. And there's nothing ahead of me that's greater than your presence. And you promised that you'd never leave me. Sa- and all of a sudden now you're worshiping him and the enemy is just so angry. I'm serious, because every time he pushes, there's a risk. Every time, every time he pushes, there's a chance that rather than giving in to condemnation, despair, and guilt, that you'll actually turn around and turn it into praise. And you become closer with the Father because you're communing with Him. And every time that happens, you're just absolutely giving Him the, the bird. <laughs> listen, he either, Listen, your life either makes him thankful that he did what he did or regret that he did what he did. I, I, me and Patrick talked once today. I want every single day for my life to give him an absolute immense case of regret, and him say, "I wish I would have just left him alone. I wish I would have just let him be that little surfer punk who thought that he the world revolved around him." Down in, I wish I wouldn't have pushed him quite so far. I wish I would have just left him where he he was because he was content there and he was happy there. But I pushed a little too far and I pushed him to the end of himself and at the end of himself, he found the one who created him. And oh man, I wish I would have just left him alone because now there's no stopping him because the spirit of God lives inside of him and every day that he's alive, I have to pay for the sins and for the mistakes that I made in his life. And he doesn't have to because Jesus paid for everyone. (laughs) It's one of the two. Your life is either absolute regret for him or absolute delight for him in the decisions and the choices that you make and what you believe decide which one it is. You can live the rest of your life with regret, or he can live the rest of your life with it. It's up to you. Wow. I know, I, I, it was a good word. <laughs> anyway, so how are you guys doing this morning? Yeah, I know. I, is anyone a little tired? No, how could you be after that? Don't raise your hand. That was a trick question. <laughs> just kidding. Um, open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter twenty-one, verse twenty-eight. We're gonna have a, a short message, and there's something I really want to do um, today because I felt like during worship God was saying we need to do it. Um, Matthew chapter twenty-one, verse twenty-eight. Jesus is telling a parable, and he's talking to the Pharisees, and um, and he says. What do you think? Be real careful when God starts asking you questions like, what do you think? Because he's probably not so much trying to figure something out as he's trying to bring you to a place of figuring something out. You know, when he said, Adam, where are you? He really wasn't wondering where Adam was. He was just getting Adam to ask the question, where am I? And so he says, but what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive. Spirit of God, I thank you that you're here right now that you're opening our ears to hear and our minds to understand what you have to say to us, that we have the mind of Christ, that our hearts are good soil, that the seed of your word, God, would sink into the soil of our hearts and it would produce fruit in our lives, that a world that does not know you, God, would taste the fruit of our lives and know that you're good. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. One thing real quick about the fruit of the spirit, you know, one of the fruits of the spirit uh, or part of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. And I just want to encourage somebody with this. If you find yourself wanting to respond in a way other than you know that you should in a situation and having to control that, the very reason the fruit of the self-control is available to you is because sometimes you have to control yourself. Don't let that be guilty. Don't let that be condemnation. Don't let that be what's wrong with me. I'm not like everybody else. Why do I want to do this thing and have to control it? Listen to me. If you didn't have to control yourself, you wouldn't need the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. Don't ever let that beat you up. Don't ever let that be a condemnation. Don't ever let that be something the enemy uses to make you feel like you're less than. And then thank him, God, you're changing me and you're making me more like you every day. And I thank you, God, that my natural response becomes more like yours every single time I'm tested. And I thank you, God, that even if what wants to come out of me doesn't look like you, that I know you and what you are and I know who you are so much that I won't allow that to happen and I'll actually control myself. Yeah. Anyway, someone needed to hear that. So so Jesus is telling this story, right? He's telling it to the Pharisees. And, and, and he says to them, and, and the context of it is, is a little different than what I'm going to talk about this morning. Well, it's not really, but, but it's just a simple task. He comes to the sons, the father does, and he says, go work in my vineyard today. Something that both the sons are totally capable of doing. Something that's not so hard. It's not mystical. It's not any of these things. It's just, go work in my vineyard. And I think that, that something that stands out to me is, this, is that God never calls us to something that's so hard and so complicated that we're unable to understand it and unable to do it. That even the things that seem so big to us, when, when, when we see them in other people's lives, I promise you when he went to them, it wasn't this huge grand thing. It was just a simple thing they stepped into, into and then he blew on it and it became this great thing that you're seeing. But he never calls somebody like, to, "like Hey, I want you to do," and lays out this huge whole vision for them and tells them all the stuff that's way completely incapable. He just says simple things to people. So he says to him, "Go work in my vineyard." And one says to him, "I will, sir," and then doesn't do it. And to everybody listening. To everybody that knew him, to everybody that heard the father ask the question and then judged by the words that came out of his mouth, you would think, wow, that son's really got it together. What a good son. His father comes to him and asks him something, and the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, I will, sir. And and, and if you're just judging by their words, you might get the wrong idea of the son. And he goes to the other one and he says, Work in my vineyard. And he says, I will not, sir. But then he thinks about it and he thinks, You know what? My dad asked me to go work in the vineyard. I probably should do that. He says, He regretted it and did it. And I sort of to say to us that, Listen, I think that sometimes we're more worried about everything that comes out of our mouth being right. And sometimes we're so concerned with what we say sounding right that we miss the fact that it's not really what comes from our mouth that he's interested in. It's actually what we do with our lives that matters. And I think, honestly, in this scenario that God would rather have someone say the wrong thing and do the right thing than say all the right things, but yet not go do the very thing that he asked of them. Because he says, which of them did the will of the Father? What was the will of the Father? Did he say, son, give me the answer I'm looking for? Or did he say, go work in my vineyard? What was his will? That the son would go work in the vineyard. And I, I just want to work because we're actually gonna we're launching into talking about spiritual gifts and we're launching into talking about that stuff and actually practical application of it. And I don't ever I don't want this to be a series. Of messages we're gonna to try to do a series I know you laugh I did too but I feel I feel like we're gonna do a series but but what I don't want is I don't want this to become something that becomes another thing that we know but that actually doesn't transform our lives and that doesn't become something we do I don't want to give us even more theological ammunition to win arguments and debates without a life that wins arguments and debates by the actions that it lives. Because if we're not careful, we will make this life, I will make this life all about knowing. And and knowing's awesome. But if that knowing doesn't translate to doing, if what comes from my mouth doesn't lead to my life doing the very thing He's called me to, something is drastically wrong. So, um, there's a few things that I think cause that to happen, Um, and I want to look at them real quick and just kind of maybe destroy a little bit of the the things that would would stop us from that. I was thinking about Peter, because that's who everyone thinks about when you think about someone who just kind of said things and did things. Let's think about Peter. Peter thinks that Jesus is here to lead them in battle against the Romans this is Peter's theology is that Jesus is here to be the conquering king and he's going to lead us into battle against the Romans and we're going to overthrow this empire and Jesus is going to take the seat on the throne and we will then be freed and we will be a, a kingdom of people a nation of people who will no longer be in bondage no longer be in slavery and so when Jesus is ready to go out and he says they're going to come for me and he says you know they're going to they're going to kill me and Peter says I will never let that happen Get behind me, Satan, for you're not thinking, you're thinking selfishly, not the thoughts of the Father, not the thoughts of the kingdom. In other words, you want me to stay here because you think that's best for you. You don't have the perspective of me going, what it actually will do. And he grabs a sword. He grabs a sword and he follows Jesus out. And and Jesus says, Listen to me, Peter. Before this, the, the, cro- the rooster crows, "You're going to deny me three times. What does Peter say? I'll never do that. See, to anybody watching Peter's life, what's coming from his mouth looks so good. I'll never let them kill you. I'll never deny you. Grab a sword and head out into the garden. And then G- when they come to take Jesus, Peter is so convinced that this thing is about to get set off. He is so convinced that the day he's been waiting for, this this final overthrow of the Roman government is finally here, he's like, I'm going to swing the first blow of this revolution. And whack, he chops off the ear of Malchus' servant. Did Peter do any of those things right? Nothing. It was better that Jesus went. And in fact he did let it happen. He did deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. And obviously what he did to Malchus's servant was wrong because Jesus picked up the ear and put it back onto Malchus's servant, saying, What? Don't judge his don't judge me by his actions. What he did was wrong. But I'll fix it. Yet isn't it interesting? that when God is looking for someone He can entrust to be the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm sorry, to to the Jews. To bring the Gospel to the very people whom He attacked and whom He denied Jesus to. Isn't it interesting that of all the people who served Him, He picks an apostle to the Jewish people and He makes it Peter. I would think John... He's the one Jesus loved. He laid His chest on head on Jesus' chest and He was with Him at the cross. He didn't chop off ears. He didn't deny Jesus. He didn't get called Satan. Right? If I'm picking naturally, it's John. But God chooses Peter. Then He looks down and He says, you know, I, I, need, a, I need an apostle to the to the Gentiles. And he looks down and and here's a man who when they wanted to kill Stephen because he was preaching the Gospel to him, gave his approval of the stoning of Stephen. Here's a man who has made it his life mission to hunt down and snuff out this little thing they call the way the early Christian church, he has decided single-handedly that he is going to destroy this thing. And he's the most feared man in all of Christianity because he is ruthlessly hunting down the church. And God's in heaven going... I need to find someone who I can trust with this gospel of the new covenant. I need to find somebody who can teach my people about what it looks like to live in a new covenant. I need to teach. I need somebody who will bring this message to the ends of the earth and who will actually establish and create more theology than any of my other followers ever do with the words that they write. And I want them to write letters to the church that will be read for generation upon generation as long as the earth is standing. They will read his letters. And, and I need to find someone to do that. Who could I pick? And he looks down and he says, Saul. I mean, like we know about what happened to Saul, he becomes Paul, so it's easy for us to be like, well, yeah, it totally makes sense. He an amazing man, laid his life down, was beaten, all those things, right? But, but think about in the moment, like how much sense did it make that the Father is looking for someone he can entrust with the New Covenant theology? And then he looks down and he says, Saul. And he's on a donkey, headed to Damascus, and I'm going to blind him. And I was just thinking about how those things don't make sense because, like, did Saul have perfect theology? No. Did he have everything right? No, he thought he did. He thought he was doing the lord a favor and and the lord says to him saul it's actually me that you're persecuting he's actually doing the complete opposite of what god wants him to do instead of edifying the church he's destroying the church instead of building the church up he's tearing the church down he is doing the complete opposite But he's doing it with a fervency that nobody else on earth is doing it with. And I think the reason why he picked Peter and the reason he picked Paul is this reason right here. I think he would rather teach somebody how to do something right than try to motivate somebody that knows the right thing and does nothing with it. I think he'd rather take a guy who will cut Malchus's ear off and put Malchus's ear back on and say, listen, I know that you're coming as zealously as you can. A man who would, who would drag off and have the church killed to protect what he believed was the truth. See, Paul was a guardian of truth in his own mind. He was like, this is the truth. I studied under the greatest Pharisee. I was born on this day. I was circumcised on this day. I'm from this tribe. As to works, I've I've outdone everybody. He's like, I'm the most zealous person on earth for God. The only difference is, is that he just didn't know what direction he was supposed to be going in. And I think God looks down and says, I'd rather take somebody who actually acts on what they know and what they believe and teach them what's true then try to get somebody who knows everything right motivated to actually get off their couch and do something. Why? Well, he's picking two. And both of them happen to be people who are completely misdirected and misguided, yet who will act on what they know at all costs with fearless abandon. And he says, You know what? He's got some things that are a little messed up, but he's zealous but he'll do something. I can turn him a whole lot easier than I can start him. I can point him in the right direction a whole lot better than I can get him to want to go somewhere to begin with. I can use that zeal I think God would rather put the ear on, back on Malchus' servant for someone that will stand before the same men and declare the Gospel boldly than have someone never make a mistake, never have to put an ear back on and live a safe life that does nothing. Am I saying intentionally go out and act in error? No, but I am saying act on what you believe is true so that He can actually correct you rather than sit back and never do anything for fear of ever failing. Uh, just just think about this we expect failure in every single area of life except the church when your kids were learning to ride their bikes and you to- you showed them how so they should have known that's what we say Well, they should know better if they really know God. We say these things, apply that to something that you do as a parent and see how much sense that makes. And then remember that God said, if you're evil and know how to give good gifts, how much more will I? What's he implying? I'm a way better father than you are. So imagine that he's a way better father than you. And now put yourself in this position. You've showed your child how to ride a bike. You've explained to them the process. You've told them about balance and speed and all those things. And you get them on that bike and they're kind of freaked out, but you got the seat and you're running with them and you let go and they, they forget to pedal fast enough. And they, mm, <sighs> how crazy would it be if you stood back there and went, False bike rider! <laughs> some bike rider you are. No, what do you do? You run over. You dust them off. You show them where they went wrong. You put them back on the bike. And you give them another push off. And then they wreck again. Now you've missed it twice. You'll never be a bike rider. I don't know what made you think you were a bike rider to begin with. See, that's crazy coming from our mouths. But how many of us so easily picture the Father to be like that towards us if we step out in acting on something that we think He's told us and we get it wrong? How many Christians are guilty of calling people false bike riders just because they tipped over and fell in the process of learning to ride? And why on earth do we have a standard for things of God that we don't have for anything else in life? Where in life we expect failure as part of the learning process, but in the church we expect you to not step out until you're certain that you will not fail and that it will be perfect. Where did that come from? Well, because well, God is perfect, yes. And He's using imperfect people. Who are growing up into all things Him. If you told your child, you can't ride the bike until you can promise me that there's no chance that you're gonna wreck, your kid is never gonna ride a bike. If you said, I demand perfection from you, and until you are 100% sure that you can do it perfectly, I don't want you to try, they're never going to try, because the learning is getting it wrong sometimes, so that He can father us to get it right. And if we would give each other permission, like if I came up here and I said before worship this morning, hey guys, um, I want us to have a little bit of grace you know so and so was sick this morning and so this person stepped in they really don't know this song but they're going to give it a whirl you know and, and 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 everyone here would be so for them and so willing to overlook any minor mistakes and if we had the ability so willing to help them into what they're called to and so wanting them to do good and wanting them to succeed every one of us would But somebody steps out and says they heard something from God, or they want to pray for someone to be healed, or they want to do something that God's called them to do that seems a bit weird. And if it doesn't work the very first time, if we're not careful, we will be standing around hurling fingers at them and calling them false bike riders and asking them how they ever expected to do that. Or asking them, well, if it's really God, then how come? Well, because we're growing. We're growing. We're stepping into things that are new. It would be weird if we never got it wrong. In fact, I'm willing to say this. If you never get it wrong, there's a good chance you will never get it right. Because you will be right 100% of the time when you don't give a word. There's no chance you'll ever be wrong. There's no chance they won't get healed by you praying for them if you don't pray for them. You'll never have to answer that question of why didn't they? Well, if God, then how come? Well, if you're so sure, then you'll never have to answer any of those questions. All right. (laughs) That's our kids' church up there. I don't know what they're doing. Yes, Lord, we agree. (laughs) So where this is all coming from is this thing where I was spending time with the Lord and I was talking to Him just about... Gifts of the spirit and, and, and seeing people operate in a greater level of them, and, 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 we, and, and, and to be fair, like we do, people step out and give words, people pray we pray for the sick, we do all that stuff. But I want it to be a thing where we, we understand that not only is it like OK for a certain few people, that we expect that everybody who has the spirit of God living inside of them will have gifts manifest in their life. And, and not the goal isn't so that it's a circus here, although it may turn into that at times a very controlled circus with a ringleader. But the goal is because if you won't step out and do something here where everybody's rooting for you, where everybody believes in you, where everybody's hoping that you'll step out and get something right, there's probably a good chance you're not going to do it out there where you don't have those same certainties. And so I was just talking to God about this and, I, and, and, and this, just just being real honest and, and 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 raw with you guys. And I was praying about it and I said, "But God, I... I just don't want things to be weird apart from character and, and integrity and 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 you know all those things. Like I just don't want one without the other. You know I don't want care, I don't want weird apart from that stuff. And he said, "Yeah, but Roy, you're totally content with it the other way around." I don't know, like when God speaks to you, if it's always rainbows and butterflies. But that for me wasn't rainbows and butterflies. It was like. And he said, you would be okay to have one without the other, just not this one without that one. And I want both. And when I say weird, I don't mean weird for the sake of weird, but I'm saying read your Bible. Like, things got weird. Things were a little strange sometimes. Things were unexplainable sometimes. And, and, and I am I'm, I'm saying this that I'm guilty of putting such a high priority on one that I feel like in a way, maybe people have got the idea that if I can't get it 100% right, I can't step out. And I just want to say to us as a church family, that's not my heart. And that's not the heart of this church or our leadership. It's to say that you, know, that you have to make sure that you get everything 100% right. And if you don't get it 100% right, and you step out. Listen, if the Father in heaven is not standing around with stones to throw at you, When you're learning, then neither should we. And if we expect people to mess up in learning anything else in life, we probably should expect them to learn out, mess up in learning these things. And so, um, so there's two two things I want to talk about, and then and then there's something I want to do uh, pray. But uh, if you ever Bibles open, open up to John chapter 14 verse 7 real quick, and I just want to teach us two things through this story. This is the story of Philip, you know, with the famous, you know, show us the Father. Philip says, Jesus, show us the Lord, show us the Father. And this is Jesus' response to him. He says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Listen, this is Jesus being very straightforward with Philip. He says, after all this time, you've been with me for years now. How can you ask me that? And the fact that you're asking me that means that you really don't believe that I'm in the Father and he's in me. This is the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Who's he talking to? Philip, the one who just completely blew the basis of, of Christian theology, which is that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. That Jesus is not some radical free agent out there that looks so different than the Father that we have to say, well, Jesus, we like you, but will you show us what the Father is like? Jesus says, do you you not understand that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? In other words, This is like one of the cornerstones of our faith is believing that the three are one, the one are three. He's talking to the same Philip that just spoke up and completely blew it. Completely had his theology all messed up. And he says to him a little bit later, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He says... Greater works than these will you do, because I go to the Father. And he says, anyone who believes in me, but included in anyone who believes in me, is the man he started out speaking to, and that's Philip. So what? And then he says, uh, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. So, two things. One, he doesn't disqualify Philip from being able to ask him for anything and him doing it for him simply because Philip's theology that came out of his mouth was a little bit messed up. And he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. In other words, even if you don't have everything totally figured out, he still entrusts you with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because He said that He'll teach you. And the other thing I think is interesting is that the Holy Spirit's not as easily offended as a lot of the people who claim to be being led by Him. Because He just completely jacked up one of the most basic things of Christian theology, and yet when He says He's going to give you the Holy Spirit, He says, you know Him because He abides with you. And will be in you. In other words, he's here with you. And he didn't take off and leave in offense covering his ears when you said something that wasn't theologically correct. Why do we think he's that way now? Why do we think that he's so easily offended that if what comes out of our mouth isn't perfect, that he's suddenly, the dove has left the building. I'm not saying like try to get things wrong, but I am saying if you sit around waiting till you have everything figured out, you'll wait till you're in heaven to do something. And all the things that Jesus called us to do, almost all of them are useless once you're there. There will be no sick to heal. There will be no demons to cast out. There will be no dead to raise there be no prophecy to give because when we see him face to face, the perfect one, Right now we prophesy in part, but then in full, right now we see dimly as through a glass, but then we'll know fully as we are known. In other words, we'll know him just as well as he knows us. All the things that Jesus promised to the believer will be useless once you're in heaven. And if you sit around waiting till you have everything figured out, you won't even start until you're in heaven and then someone will look at you and say, dude, uh, I don't think you're supposed to be prophesying. Because we all know that. Like, I see great things in your future. In fact, tomorrow you're going to be worshiping in the throne room and everyone's looking at you going, yeah, no, we, we all know that. That was for down there. That would have made an impact down there. That would have proved to somebody the Father knew every detail of their life and would have led them to want to know Him better down there. Let's go cast out a demon. No, no, you don't understand. All the demons have been cast down. They're not allowed here. They're in the place that was prepared for them from the beginning of time. That was for down there, because down there there were people who were actually oppressed by them. Let's raise the dead. Dude, we've already been raised. (laughs) Um, There's no death here. There's no night. There's no day. We don't even need the sun, because he's here. There's no darkness. There's no shadow. All those things were for down there. But somehow you had the idea that all those things were on hold until you had everything perfectly figured out so that you would never get it wrong. And you waited until you got to a place where you would never get it wrong. And now that you're here, those things are not here with you. I don't want to get there. And realize that he was just looking for someone who would actually step out on what they believed was true so that he could father them and teach them into what was right. And get there and be like, God, I never missed it. And have him look at me and say, congratulations, you never hit it either. My little son Jackson started starting to play baseball. He was a gymnast for a long time and he practiced Five days a week for three and a half hours a day at gymnastics, and he was really good at it, and it was destroying our family. <laughs> we just had no life. And finally, we got to a point where we said, Look, he's four years, f- five years from being able to drive himself. Like, this is not doable for our family for another four months, never mind four years. We got to do something else. And he'd always asked to play baseball, you know? So I talked to him. I said, Jackson, you, you want to play baseball, buddy? And he said, well, "Oh no, know. you know kids are at that weird age at eleven. You know they just don't know really how to answer everything because they're afraid if they say yes, what that might lead to." Because he didn't want to go to public school, he was homeschooling because of gymnastics, and he had this thing in his head that if he started playing baseball, he was going to back to public school. He's right, smart kid. <laughs> and he said, well, "Oh no," <laughs> and I said, "Well, Bud, you've been asking me all the time, and we couldn't because you did." I said, "What if you stopped doing gymnastics?" I said, "And if you don't like baseball, you could start doing gymnastics again, but..." You know, you're at an age right now where you're young enough, you could learn and you could catch on and catch up with kids your age, and we'll get you some lessons to get you up to speed. And who knows, maybe you'll love it. And, and, and not to mention, your gymnastics is 45 minutes in one direction away, and all your friends that, that you do it with live so far away. This place here, you'd be playing with kids that live near us, where if you build friendships, you'd actually be in community with these kids. And, you know, I pitched it to him really well. And, uh, and he said, Okay. Two days later, he was back in public school, had quit gymnastics, and Patty felt like she was born again again. (laughs) (laughs) I promise, because it was five days a week, 45 minutes there to drop him off, 45 minutes back home, wait two hours, 45 minutes there to pick him up, 45 minutes back home, and then homeschool him from the time he got home until it was time to pick up Aaliyah from school. And um, so now he's learning to play baseball. And there's this thing where when you're really, really good at something, which he was, he was a state champion in events and regionals and was really good, had natural talent and strength and all that stuff. And he got used to being one of the best. He got used to when he walked into a meet, people knew who he was. He got used to having a confidence that he could beat just about anybody he came up against, especially on a local or state and even in the North Carolina, Georgia, South Carolina regional area. Um, you know, We'd go to North Carolina, go to Tennessee, and he'd win. And so now he's doing something that's completely out of his comfort zone. And I talked to the guy who's given him lessons, his coach, and he said, you know, he's, he's a bit of a perfectionist. And he said, his form is perfect. He does everything I tell him to do. But there's one thing he's missing. He's missing aggression. He swings carefully, making sure that the bat hits the ball every time. And he makes contact, and he has great hand-eye coordination, but the ball doesn't go very far because he's so worried about missing that he slows everything down to make sure that he hits it. And he's playing it safe. And he may never strike out, but he won't hit many base hits. He won't hit many doubles. Have never hit any home runs. Doing that. And I started thinking about how that could translate to our Christian lives a little bit. And I'm just going to close up with this. And. You can play it safe and make sure you never miss it. But it comes at the expense of hitting home runs. You can, you can make sure that your form is perfect. You can study theology until you can answer every question someone has when every single debate Never be at a loss for words. Never find yourself in a situation where when someone asks a question, you say, I don't know. And you can live that safe life if you want to. And never miss it. Never strike out. The problem is, you never hit a home run. Very rarely will you hit any base hits. And you're not going to make a whole lot of difference for the team that you're playing on. So what if we keep pursuing truth the way we have? Like I love, that's one thing I love about this church family is we go after truth and we value truth above everything because God values his word above even his own name. But what if we don't abandon truth for the sake of aggression, but we say everything that we've learned is a foundation for us to step into more stuff with and to be assured that as we go, there may be sometimes we make mistakes, but man, there's going to be times we get it right. And that getting it right is worth the risk of the mistake. And that if we do make a mistake, we're all going to be like the parent with the kid on the bike. And we're going to come alongside each other, pick each other back up, brush each other off, talk to each other about what we noticed that maybe could have changed something or what we maybe see that, that was wrong. Hey, you know, when, you, when I lo- took my hand off the bike, you stopped pedaling as fast as you were when I was holding on to the bike. And because you weren't pedaling fast enough when I let go, your momentum wouldn't keep you. You know, it's not that hard. It's not this shameful thing. It's like, oh, I didn't realize I was doing that. So you're saying just keep pedaling just as hard. Yeah, or maybe pedal even harder once I let go because I'm not holding you up. It's not this shameful thing. Hey, you know, when you, when you said this, I know your heart was really good, but maybe you want to think about this. Or you know what, that, that was a good word, but that was probably not the best setting for it. Maybe something like that could be shared private. You know, it's not shameful. And if we're not, if, we don't, if our egos aren't tied to getting everything right, if we'll humble ourselves, have humility, and submit ourselves one to each other, not esteem ourselves more highly than we ought to, we have no problem if somebody comes to us and says, Hey, I love that you did that, but listen, you might want to think about this next time. And what does that do? It just builds a feeling of safety, it builds a feeling that we're all growing together. It builds a place where everybody can step into things. Because guess what? If you'll start doing that here with people that you know and love, pretty soon it gives you a confidence to step out and start doing it out there with people that you don't know that you love. But if you won't do it in your family first. That's why Jesus said, take the gospel first to Judea and then to Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. What's he saying? Start sharing what you know with the people closest to you. And that will build a confidence to where you start stepping out a little bit into Samaria. And once you've stepped out into Samaria and you've been sharing the Gospel there, you'll have the confidence to take that Gospel to the ends of the earth. But start with the closest place. Start where you are. Start with your family. Jesus said um, that unless you become like a child, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. So I just want us to stand real quick, because there's something that's that was weighing on me earlier, not weighing, but something I felt impressed in me earlier when we were worshiping is this is that you know when a child is born, it's not self-conscious. You know when Adam and Eve were created, they weren't self-conscious? Meaning what? It's always God's plan for us to not be self-conscious. And you know when a child gets excited about something, they just get excited. You know, or they spin in circles, or they dance, they sing, and they don't care if they can dance. They don't care if it's on tune. Why? Because no one's taught them that it's bad yet. Nobody came along to them and told them it looks stupid. Nobody laughed at them yet. They weren't aware. They weren't conscious of themselves. They were simply doing what they felt inside. They were expressing themselves. And then somewhere along the way, somebody made them feel stupid. Because you don't dance like that. You can't sing. Hey, when you yell like that, it's really jarring. Hey, we we walk inside. We don't skip. And we we get taught these things. And sometimes no one even tells us. We just learn them because we see the look on people's faces. And part of us starts to die, and the innocence inside of us starts to die, and part of us starts to become something that we think we should be rather than who we were created to be. And we start figuring out what's okay and what's not. And maybe some things are okay with certain people in certain settings and certain groups, but not with other people in other settings and other groups. And I can dance at home in the living room with my family, but I can't dance when I'm out in public with around people that I don't know because they may laugh at me. And I'm so concerned about what you think that I'll sacrifice what I feel for the sake of what you think. And this is what I want for us. I just want us to become like children again. Not lose the wisdom that we've gained. Not lose the integrity and the character and all the things that the foundation that we've been building here are built upon. But I want us to get childlike again. As a family. If you think it's funny, laugh. Don't wait till the people around you are laughing to figure out if it's socially acceptable to laugh at the joke. Who's done that? Like, be honest. Who has waited to see if everybody else laughed before they laughed too? Come on why do we do that because we don't want to be the only one laughing who cares if it's funny laugh if you want to spin like a top spin like a top if you want to shout shout if you feel like god shared something with you to share with someone share it with them and trust that he's big enough to correct when you're wrong don't be don't try to play god Don't try to get it wrong. But man, if you think it's something God's wanting you to share, go share it with them. What's the worst that happens? You step out and you give the Holy Spirit something to work with because if you're wrong, then there's something that He can correct for them and show them the truth. And He can father and teach you in the moment too so that the next time when you step out, you're that much closer to getting it right all the time. Go pray for the sick if you see someone that's sick and you feel like you want to go pray for them and you have compassion for them. What's the worst that happens? They know that somebody loves them, them enough to humble themselves and risk looking like a fool in public to put their hands on them and pray for them because they believe that their God loves them enough that He wants to heal them. But what if they don't get healed? Don't even ask that question before you go pray because now you're headed into it with the wrong thing on your mind. It should be, I love them and I don't want to see them suffer. Not, I want them to have their theology Perfect goodness gracious god never called us to that and a lot of times when you think that nothing happened later on something happens and you don't hear about it and like the guy that had the cancer in his neck we had the tent the, the table set up praying for people that were sick he came by and said oh you guys can't pray for me i'm too far i'm too mine's too bad and i said that's the people we want to pray for he said, I've got cancer in my, my spinal uh, column and at the, the base of my brain. It's inoperable. I probably have six months left to live. You can see it. Huge tumor. Remember that at the Whitehorse Road yeah. flea market? And I said, well, <laughs> why not? What have you got to lose? He's like, okay, fine. So we prayed over him. He asked us what church we were from or whatever, and then he left. He had zero faith Zero. In fact, he had faith in the wrong thing, that, that it was uncurable, inoperable, and was nothing was gonna happen. And what, a month later, you got a Facebook message. And he said and he said, I just I remembered your church and I think your husband's name is Roy, and that you guys are the pastors of that church, remember? And he said, I would have never been able to find you, but I remembered your church and I looked it up and I found you through Facebook. And I just wanted to let you know that you guys prayed for me at the flea market for the cancer on my neck to be gone. And I went in to have another biopsy done in another spot, and they noticed the cancer in my spinal cord and the base of my brain was gone. Yeah, that's awesome, right? But here's the thing. If he doesn't hear Outreach Church because he asked what church we were from, we never hear that story. And we don't walk away encouraged It's not about you walking away encouraged. It's about you walking away knowing that you were obedient and that you actually took a chance and took a risk and stepped out to release the kingdom of God. And that I promise, you will never see people healed by you praying for them if you don't pray for them. God will never speak to somebody through your mouth if you never open it and let him speak. It just won't happen. The dead are never going to be raised if we're not laying hands on caskets when we go to funerals. That's why we go to funerals. I, 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 we were talking about this. Like We fully expect every time that they're going to get up and come walking out of the casket. We do. It doesn't happen, hasn't happened yet, but that doesn't mean we're not going to pray the next time. Because Jesus said, the things I do, you'll do in greater because I go to the Father. We're so busy arguing about what the greater things are, we forget the fact that He said, you'll do what I do. And He raised the dead. And, and right now, while I'm saying this, life is speaking to you and telling you why what I'm saying can't happen. And theology is trying to convince you that there's a reason and this and that and the next thing. And here's the point. Why not just be childlike and say, Jesus said anything I ask, He's going to give me. And that everything He did, I'll do. So if I can ask it, he'll, He will give it. And if He did it, then that means I can do it because He said I would. And He's not a man that He should lie. So this is all I want us to do. We just dedicated children to the Lord. What what I would really love is for anybody who's been walking with the Lord for, say, 40, 30, 40, 50 years, older people who have been walking with God and pursuing the kingdom, would you guys just come forward real quick? Because we're going to have you pray over us and bless us. Because in church, we're really good at honoring the young. We're really good at honoring babies. We're really good at spotting young people who have talent and young people who have passion and young people who have zeal. And I feel like a lot of times that that people who have walked with them for a long time can feel like their time is up. Like they've ran their race and now it's up to the young people. And we just want to say as a church family, like we honor and value people who have been walking with God for far longer than we have. And we want you to pray over us and we want to receive for you. Yeah, come on up. You just come right up here. And we're just going to in a second have you extend your hands towards us and just pray for us. Whatever comes out of your mouth is fine. Just come on up. Yeah. If you're not over 50, it's okay. We'll, 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 we'll just wink. Come on. Yeah. Look, this, I'm, I'm, it's not an age thing. It's not like, oh, well, I'm 50. I have to come. I'm talking about people who have been pursuing God for years and years, for a lifetime. And if you've ever felt like you know, it's my time to step aside and that it's really younger people because I do believe that. I believe as a church we do a good job of honoring and finding and valuing the young people who are hungry for God. And sometimes we can not do as good a job of valuing the people who have walked with Him for a long time. And I think we lose something when we forget that there's things you can learn with God from a lifetime of walking with Him that are really hard to learn if you haven't. And that we can learn from people who have made mistakes so that we don't have to make them. And we can learn from people who had victories that we haven't had and receive from them. So, so this is what we're going to have you do. Whatever you feel like praying. but just would, you, would, would everyone just put their hands in a posture to receive? And would everyone else, the, the older people up front, would you just put, extend your hands towards us or whatever you want to do and just pray for us, for hunger, for zeal, that we would remain like children. Whatever it is that you feel like praying. Out loud, yeah. We want to hear you. (laughs) You've held your tongue for long enough, some of you. Come on, we want to hear your voice. Thank you, Father. Pray
3: in the name of Jesus for adventure over this generation. Yes.
4: Baldness in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for boldness
1: right out there in the streets. Father, we thank you that you're going to set aside their ambition and that that they will ride the wave of your ambition, Lord, that they will not have any selfishness or any desire of their own, that it will be all
4: yours. And they will be surrendered and submitted to you so fully, Lord, that you will Raise them up high. And place them in high places, Lord. And give them authority because of the low place they took. We
1: praise
2: you, Jesus. Lord, we hear so often, I need to adult now. Mm-hmm. I'm adulting. Instead, help them to be children. Mm-hmm. Your children. That everything they do, do in awe of you just as they did to their parents when they were young. Mm-hmm. Help them not to, to try to grow up so much that they can't remember the joys of releasing everything that you <coughs> have. To yes. Hmm. Father, <clears throat> along with what my brother just prayed, as children we're taught to be self-dependent when we grow up. We grow up self-dependent, then we're taught by your Spirit to be totally dependent on you, mm-hmm. Father. I ask, Lord, that that Spirit of dependency on you just prevail in this building. Mm-hmm. We all, rather than wait to be humble, will humble ourselves before you, Father. Yes, and realize that without you, we can do nothing. With you, there's nothing we can't do. Mm-hmm. In the name of Jesus, that you set forth in this building and everyone here, and anyone that's not here that should be the spirit of freedom, freedom Mm -hmm. to be who we are in you, Mm -hmm. and do what you would have us do, to hear your voice and act upon it. Mm -hmm. It is in Christ's name. And Lord, we pray that um, as these children step into their identity as children of God, that Lord, they would recognize that identity means that they represent you. And that representation means that you give authority to represent. Mm. And so, Lord, I pray for complete freedom in the authority that you give. Lord, thank you that you give them the badge of authority and you give them the gun of power. Mm. Thank you, Lord, that these children walk with your badge and your gun and they're capable of representing you, the King, mm-hmm. yes. who is their Father. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. What Mm-hmm. And Lord, I just ask you to put great expectation and hope and trust in them. That you have their children. Or if yeah. I would have known what they were gonna go through, I may have had fear, Lord, but you kept them alive. You kept one of my sons alive after three flips of a car, he just crawled out and walked away. And now he's on fire for you.
4: They already have everything they need to live a life of godliness. Mm-hmm. When they fall off the bike, they can get back on, but they can still ride, that there is no shame,
1: mm-hmm.
4: because you've already given them all they need.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: and <laughs>
2: And Father, I ask, it is in your Son's name I ask, that you will put in the spirit and the soul and the heart of each person here an awareness of something, that they would be drawn to ask you, Lord, what is this something? And you became make them become aware of the gifts that you have put in them, placed in them. That's what those gifts are, so that they'll know what it is that they are to act upon what it is that they're to to step out in. We can't step until we know where to step. So, Father, in Jesus' name, make everyone here aware of the gifts that you've placed in them, individually and corporately.
4: I thank you, Lord, that these young ones, those younger ones, the Father, can just rise up in you and just make a difference in this earth, That everywhere they go, the Holy Spirit goes before them. Thank you. It's just like a God behind, Then they know they have Your power, and they can step out in boldness and worship You and, and be a be a witness of Jesus in this earth. We just give You the honor, glory, and praise, Lord. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Father. You've begun a great work, and Lord, we know that you will complete it to the end. And there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Raise up, stir the gifts within you, in Jesus' name.
0: We ask for that. Thank you. Lord. Amen. Thank so, you, Lord. God, we thank you so much for these prayers, and and God, we as a as a family, just we we honor. The people who have followed you for for so long, God, and we pray that you would stir in them a fresh passion, God, a fresh desire just to step out and be used in greater ways, God, and we ask that you would uh, give them a, the father and mother hearts, God, that they would come alongside the younger Christians, Father, and they would show them the scars on their foreheads, God, to keep us, us from having those same ones, and it would teach us the things they've learned in walking with you, God, that that we would all understand that, 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 that in this, this family of God, that we're all together, that You've called us together. You've called us for a, for a mission to reach this earth for Your kingdom, God, and to bring the gospel right here in Greenville and, and, and everywhere we go. And so we just ask, God, that You would bring us together and unite our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.